Hello and welcome back to Leftist Reading, a podcast where I'm a leftist and I read things. We're continuing with Marxism-Leninism, a curriculum about the foundational concepts of communism and the theory behind it. We're currently going through a chapter about consciousness, what it means, how it actionably actually affects people, and the more grounded notions of it as opposed to some strange idealist ideas about how thinking things makes them so. So let's get started. Nature and Structure of Consciousness Nature of Consciousness Consciousness is the dynamic and creative reflection of the objective world in human brains. It is the subjective image of the objective world. See Discussion of Dynamic and Creative Reflection. The dynamic and creative nature of reflection is expressed in human psychophysiological activities when we receive, select, process, and save data in our brains. Within the human brain, we are able to collect data from the external material world. Based on this information, our brain is capable of creating new information, and we are able to analyze, interpret, and understand all of this information collectively within our consciousness. The dynamic and creative nature of reflection is also expressed in several human processes. The creation of ideas, hypotheses, stories, etc. The ability to summarize nature and to comprehend the objective laws of nature. The ability to construct models of ideas and systems of knowledge to guide our activities. Consciousness is the subjective image of the objective world. Consciousness is defined by the objective world in both content and form. See Annotation 150. However, consciousness does not perfectly reflect the objective world. It modifies information through the subjective lenses. Thoughts, feelings, aspirations, experiences, knowledge, needs, etc. of humans. According to Marx and Engels, ideas are simply sublimates, transformations, of the human brain's material life process, which is empirically verifiable and bound to material premises. Footnote 17. Annotation 77. In the German ideology, Marx and Engels refer to ideas somewhat poetically as, quote, the phantoms formed in the human brain, end quote and explains that ideas arise directly from material human life processes. See Annotation 72. Lenin makes it very clear in Materialism and Imperio-Criticism that consciousness is not a mirror image or exact reproduction of reality, quoting Engels. Quote, The great basic question of all philosophy, Engels says, especially of modern philosophy, is that concerning the relation of thinking and being, of spirit and nature. Having divided the philosophers into two great camps on this basic question, Engels shows that there is yet another side to this basic philosophical question. V. In what relation do our thoughts about the world surrounding us stand to this world itself? Is our thinking capable of the cognition of the real world? Are we able, in our ideas and notions of the real world, to produce a correct reflection of reality? 
The overwhelming majority of philosophers give an affirmative answer to this question, says Engels, including under this head not only all materialists, but also the most consistent idealists. End quote. Of extra importance is Lenin's footnote to the above passage regarding what he purports to be Viktor Chernov's mistranslation of Engels. Quote, Friedrich Engels, Ludwig Feuerbach, etc., 4th German edition, S15, Russian translation, Geneva edition, 1905, page 12 to 13. Mr. V. Chernov translates the word Spiegelbild, literally, a mirror reflection, accusing Plekhanov of presenting the theory of Engels, quote, in a very weakened form, end quote, by speaking in Russian simply of a reflection instead of a mirror reflection. This is mere cavilling. Spiegelbild, mirror reflection, in German is also used simply in the sense of a build, reflection, image, end quote. Here, Lenin reaffirms and clarifies Engels' idea that consciousness is not a perfect, exact duplication of reality, not a mirror image. This, however, does not contradict the fact that we can obtain real knowledge of the real world in our consciousness, and that this knowledge improves over time through practice and observation. Indeed, Lenin's passage on practice, cited first in this annotation, directly follows the above passage in Materialism and Imperial Criticism. See Natural Source of Consciousness and Annotation 32. Consciousness is a social phenomenon and has a social nature. Consciousness arose from real-life activities. Consciousness is always ruled by natural law and by social law. Annotation 78. Natural law includes the law of physics, chemistry, and other natural phenomena which govern the material world. Consciousness itself can never violate natural law as it arises from the natural processes of the natural world. Social law includes the objective and universal relationships between social phenomena and social processes. Human society was created through labor, and this labor was performed in very specific material relations between humans and the natural world. Note, social law is a key concept of historical materialism, which is the topic of part two of the textbook from which this entire text has been translated, which they hope to translate in the future. In A Contribution of the Critique of Political Economy, Marx explains how social existence and social laws govern the consciousness of individuals. Quote, In the social production of their existence, men inevitably enter into definite relations, which are independent of their will, namely relations of production, appropriate to a given stage in the development of their material forces of production. The totality of these relations of production constitutes the economic structure of society, the real foundation on which arises a legal and political superstructure, and to which corresponds definite forms of social consciousness. The mode of production of material life conditions the general process of social, political, and intellectual life. It is not the consciousness of men that determines their existence, but their social existence that determines their consciousness. End quote. 
Consciousness is determined by the social communication needs of human beings as well as the material conditions of reality. Annotation 79. The term material conditions refers to the external environment which humans inhabit. Material conditions include the natural environment, the means of production, and the economic base of human society, and other objective externalities and systems which affect human life and society. Note that material conditions don't refer to physical matter alone, but also include objective social relations and phenomena. In a contribution to the critique of political economy, Marx argues that, quote, neither legal relations nor political forms could be comprehended, whether by themselves or on the basis of a so-called general development of the human mind, but that on the contrary, they originate in the material conditions of life, end quote. Consciousness is dynamic in nature, constantly learning and changing flexibly. Consciousness guides humans to transform the material world to suit our needs. Annotation 80. Consciousness and material conditions have a dialectical relationship with one another, just as the base of society and the superstructure have a dialectical relationship with one another. See Annotation 29. Consciousness arises from material conditions, though conscious activity can affect material conditions. As Marx explains in Capital, Volume 1, quote, At the end of every labor process, we get a result that already existed in the imagination of the laborer at its commencement. He not only affects a change of form in the material on which he works, but he also realizes a purpose of his own that gives the law to his modus operandi, and to which he must subordinate his will. And this subordination is no mere momentary act. Besides the exertion of the bodily organs, the process demands that, during the whole operation, the workman's will be steadily in consonance with his purpose. End quote. In A Contribution to the Critique of Political Economy, Marx explains how the development of material conditions eventually leads to conscious activity which will in turn lead to changes in society. Quote, At a certain stage of development, the material productive forces of society come into conflict with the existing relations of production or this merely expresses the same thing in legal terms, with the property relations within the framework of which they have operated hitherto. From forms of development of the productive forces, these relations turn into their fetters. Then begins an era of social revolution. The changes in the economic foundation lead sooner or later to the transformation of the whole immense superstructure. End quote. As Marx further explains, material conditions must first be met before such revolutionary social changes can be made through conscious activity. Quote, no social order is ever destroyed before all the protective forces for which it is sufficient have been developed, and new superior relations of production never replace older ones before the material conditions for their existence have matured within the framework of the old society. Structure of Consciousness Consciousness has a very complicated structure, including many factors which have strong relationships with each other. The most basic factors are knowledge, sentiment, and willpower. 
annotation 81. As with the concept of reflection, see annotation 68, the analysis of the structure of consciousness which follows is rooted in ideas first proposed by Marx, Engels, and Lenin, and later developed through the work of various Soviet psychologists, philosophers, and scientists, including Ivan Pavlov, Todor Pavlov, Alexei Leontiev, Lev Vygotsky, Valentin Voloshinov, and others and is used as a basis for scientific inquiry and development up to this day. According to Where is Marx in the Work and Thought of Vygotsky by Lucien Zev, 2018, much of this work, such as the groundbreaking work of Lev Vygotsky, has been heavily demarxicized, stripped of all aspects of Marxism, and by extension, dialectical materialism in translation to English. Knowledge constitutes the understanding of human beings and is the result of the cognitive process. Knowledge is the recreated image of perceived objects which takes the form of language. Knowledge is the mode of existence of consciousness and the condition for consciousness to develop. Annotation 82 Marx and Engels discussed the relationship between language and consciousness extensively in The German Ideology, explaining that language, the form of knowledge which exists in human consciousness, evolved dialectically with and through social activity, and that consciousness also developed along with and through the material processes that gave rise to speech. Quote, From the start, the spirit is afflicted with the curse of being burdened with matter, which here makes its appearance in the form of agitated layers of air, sounds, in short, of language. Language is as old as consciousness. Language is practical consciousness that exists also for other men, and for that reason alone it really exists for me personally as well. Language, like consciousness, only arises from the need the necessity of intercourse with other men. So, language, physical speech organs, and human society all developed in dialectic relations with one another. Since language is the form of knowledge in human consciousness, this means that knowledge arose directly from these dialectical processes. Consciousness is, therefore, from the very beginning a social product, and remains so as long as men exist at all. Consciousness is, at first, of course, merely consciousness concerning the immediate sensuous environment and consciousness of the limited connection with other persons and things outside the individual who is growing self-conscious. End quote. The fact that knowledge has a language form in human consciousness is also important to understand because it shows that consciousness arose dialectically as, and through, social activity. And indeed, language and social activity gave rise to consciousness as a replacement for animal instinct in our relations with nature. Quote, Man's consciousness of the necessity of associating with the individuals around him is the beginning of the consciousness that he is living in society at all. This beginning is as animal as social life itself at this stage. It is mere herd consciousness. And at this point, man is only distinguished from sheep by the fact that with him, consciousness takes the place of instinct, or that his instinct is a conscious one. End quote. 
and as language and social activity dialectically developed through one another, human society became complex enough to give rise to human societies and human economies. Quote, this sheep-like or tribal consciousness receives its further development and extension through increased productivity, the increase of needs, and, what is fundamental to both of these, the increase of population. With these there develops the division of labor. End quote. Knowledge can be separated into two broad categories, knowledge of nature and knowledge of human society. Each of these categories of knowledge reflects its corresponding entity in the external world. Annotation 83 Figure 1 Showing each category of knowledge reflects a corresponding entity in the external world. It's also important to note that human society and nature have a dialectical relationship with each other and mutually impact one another. And, by extension, knowledge of nature and knowledge of human society also dialectically influence one another. So these categories of knowledge are not isolated from one another, but rather dynamically shape and influence each other continuously through time. Based on levels of cognitive development, we can also classify knowledge into categories of daily life knowledge and scientific knowledge, experience knowledge and theory knowledge emotional knowledge, and rational knowledge. Annotation 84. The following information is from the Marxism-Leninism textbook of students who specialize in Marxism-Leninism, released by Vietnam's Ministry of Education and Training. Daily Life and Scientific Knowledge, Figure 2. Daily life is the knowledge we acquire in our daily lives to deal with our daily tasks, from our interactions with nature and human society, we cultivate life experience and our understanding of every aspect of our daily lives in relation to human society and nature. Scientific knowledge arises from daily life knowledge as our daily lives become more complex. We develop a need to understand the material world and human society more deeply and comprehensively. Scientific knowledge is thus a developed system of knowledge of nature and human society. Scientific knowledge can be tested and can be applied to human life and activity in useful ways. Experience and theory of knowledge. Figure 3. Experience knowledge is cultivated from direct observation of nature and human society. This kind of knowledge is extremely diverse, and we can apply this kind of knowledge to guide our daily activities. Theory knowledge arises from experience knowledge. Theory knowledge is composed of abstract generalizations of experience knowledge. Theory knowledge is more profound, accurate, and systematically organized than experience knowledge, and gives us an understanding of the laws and dynamics of nature and human society. Emotional and Rational Knowledge Figure 4 Emotional knowledge is the earlier stage of cognitive processing. Emotional knowledge comes directly to us from our human senses. We obtain emotional knowledge when we use our human senses to directly learn things about nature and human society. Emotional knowledge is usually manifested as immediate cognitive responses such as pleasure, pain, and other such impulses. Rational knowledge arises from emotional knowledge. 
It is a higher stage of cognitive processing, involving abstract thought and generalization of emotional knowledge. Rational knowledge is usually manifested as definitions, conjectures, judgments, etc. Sentiment is the resonant manifestation of human emotions and feelings in our relationships. Sentiment is a special form of reality reflection. See annotation 68. Whenever reality impacts human beings, we feel specific sensations and emotional reactions to those impacts. Over time, these specific sensations and emotions combine and dialectically develop into generalized human feelings, and we call these generalized feelings sentiment. Sentiment expresses and develops in every aspect of human life. It is a factor that improves and promotes cognitive and practical activities. Annotation 85. As Marx explains in Economic and Philosophical Manuscripts of 1844, quote, Man, as an objective, sensuous being, is therefore a suffering being, and because he feels that he suffers, a passionate being. Passion is the essential power of man energetically bent on its object. Marx further elaborates that sentimental emotion is essential to human nature. The domination of the objective essence within me, the sensuous eruption of my essential activity, is emotion which thereby becomes the activity of my nature. End quote. Depending on the subjects that are perceived, as well as our human emotions about them, sentiments can be manifested in many different forms, such as moral emotion, aesthetic emotion, religious emotion, etc. Annotation 86. Moral emotion is the basic manifestation of moral consciousness at an emotional level. For example, when we see people helping other people, we have positive emotional responses, yet when we see people harming other people, we have negative emotional responses. Source, Nguyen T. Kuyin of the National Institute of Administration of Vietnam. Aesthetic emotion refers to the resonant feelings which arise from our interaction with beauty, sadness, comedy, etc. in life and in art. For example, when humans encounter beauty, we'll feel positive emotional responses. When humans encounter ugliness, we feel negative emotional responses. When we witness pain, we feel sympathetic feelings of pain and a desire to help. When we witness comedy, we feel humorous emotions ourselves. Source, Textbook of General Aesthetic Studies from the Ministry of Education and Training of Vietnam. Religious emotion is the human belief in supernatural or spiritual forces which can't be tested or proved through material practice or observation. However, belief in these forces can give human beings emotional responses such as hope, love, etc. Source, Pham Van Chuk, Doctor of Philosophy, Central Theoretical Council of the Communist Party of Vietnam. These are just a few illustrative examples. There are many other ways in which human emotion and sentiment can manifest. Willpower is the manifestation of one's own strength used to overcome obstacles in the process of achieving goals. Willpower is a dynamic aspect of consciousness, a manifestation of human consciousness in the material world. Annotation 87. 
an unnamed poem by Ho Chi Minh, written in 1950 for the revolutionary youth pioneers, addresses the phenomenon of willpower. Quote, Nothing in this world must be difficult. The only thing that we should fear is having a wavering heart. We can dig up mountains and fill the sea, once we've willfully made a firm decision. End quote. Today, this poem serves as the lyrics for Anthem of the Ho Chi Minh Communist Youth Union, formerly the Revolutionary Youth Pioneers. Willpower arises from human self-awareness and awareness of the purposes of our actions. Through this awareness and through willpower, we are able to struggle against ourselves and externalities to successfully achieve our goals. We can consider willpower to be the power of conscious human activity. Willpower controls and regulates human behaviors in order to allow humans to move towards our goals voluntarily. Willpower also allows humans to exercise self-restraint and self-control, and to be assertive in our actions according to our views and beliefs. Annotation 88 in Dialectics of Nature, Engels explains how willpower developed in human beings as we separated from animals through the development of consciousness. The further removed men are from animals, however, the more their effect on nature assumes the character of premeditated, planned action directed towards definite, preconceived ends. In Capital, Volume 1, Marx explains how willpower uniquely allows humans to consciously change our own material conditions to suit our needs according to preconceived plans. Quote, Labor is, in the first place, a process in which both man and nature participate, and in which man of his own accord starts, regulates, and controls the material reactions between himself and nature. He opposes himself to nature as one of her own forces, setting in motion arms, legs, head, and hands, the natural forces of his body, in order to appropriate nature's productions in a form adapted to his own wants. By thus acting on the external world and changing it, he at the same time changes his own nature. He develops his slumbering powers and compels them to act in obedience to his sway. We are not now dealing with those primitive, instructive forms of labor that remind us of the mere animal. An immeasurable interval of time separates the state of things in which man brings his labor power to market for sale as a commodity from that state in which human labor was still in its first instinctive stage. We presuppose labor in a form that stamps it as exclusively human. A spider conducts operations that resemble those of a weaver, and a bee puts to shame many an architect in the construction of her cells. But what distinguishes the worst architect from the best of bees is this, that the architect raises his structure in imagination before he erects it in reality. At the end of every labor process, we get a result that already existed in the imagination of the laborer at its commencement. He not only affects a change of form in the material on which he works, but he also realizes a purpose of his own that gives the law to his modus operandi, and to which he must subordinate his will. 
and this subordination is no mere momentary act. Besides the exertion of the bodily organs, the process demands that, during the whole operation, the workman's will be steadily in consonance with his purpose. This means close attention. The less he is attracted by the nature of the work and the mode in which it is carried on, and the less, therefore, he enjoys it as something which gives play to his bodily and mental powers, the more close his attention is forced to be. End quote. The true value of willpower is not only manifested in strength or weakness, but is also expressed in the content and meaning of the goals that we try to achieve through our willpower. Lenin believed that willpower is one of the factors that will create revolutionary careers for millions of people in the fierce class struggles to liberate ourselves and mankind. Annotation 89 in Left-Wing Communism, an Infantile Disorder, Lenin explains how revolutions are born from the collective willpower of thousands of people. Quote, History as a whole, and the history of revolutions in particular, is always richer in content, more varied, more multiform, more lively and ingenious than is imagined by even the best parties, the most class-conscious vanguards of the most advanced classes. This can readily be understood, because even the finest of vanguards express the class consciousness, will, passion, and imagination of tens of thousands, whereas at moments of great upsurge and the exertion of all human capacities, revolutions are made by the class consciousness, will, passion, and imagination of tens of millions, spurred on by a most acute struggle of classes. Two very important practical conclusions follow from this. First, that in order to accomplish its task, the revolutionary class must be able to master all forms or aspects of social activity without exception, completing after the capture of political power, sometimes with great risk and with very great danger, what it did not complete before the capture of power. Second, that the revolutionary class must be prepared for the most rapid and brisk replacement of one form by another. All of these factors, knowledge, sentiment, and willpower, which together create consciousness, have dialectical relationships with each other. Of these factors, knowledge is the most important because it is the mode of existence of consciousness, and also the factor which guides the development of all the other factors, and it also determines how the other factors manifest. And that is going to do it for this week. If you have questions, comments, corrections, or suggestions, you can email leftistreading at gmail.com or contact the show on Twitter at leftistreading. Our intro and outro music is Decisions by Eric Medias, you can find it and more of his work on soundimage.org. And this show is hosted on the Abnormal Mapping Network. You can go to abnormalmapping.com to find this and lots of other leftist podcasts, as well as go to patreon.com slash abnormalmapping to support the network there. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening, and keep reading. 